Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. I'm Sean Reedy. And I'm Katie Toole. And this is Friday Night Frights. A podcast about sand, surf, and scissors. <laughs> sharp ones. <laughs> Insanely sharp ones. Yes. Like, slice through your carotid like it's butter. Yes. Where'd they get those scissors? I don't know. I We're want to talk. <laughs> <laughs> they are gorgeous. Yes. We are going to talk about that. Yes. Uh, Tonight we are doing Jordan Peele's Us. Yes, we are. We're we're back up on a on a recent one. Yes, yeah, so we should say since this is a relatively recent film, usually we just like give you shit about not seeing a film that's mm-hmm. 35 years old, but this is a relatively recent film. So there will be spoilers in this episode. Mm-hmm. If you have not seen this movie, um get on that cuz it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's shame on you. I'm going to shame you. <laughs> He's still shaming you. <laughs> He's going to shame you anyway. I was trying to cut you some slack. I don't know. We're good cop, bad cop in it over here. Um, yeah, these scissors aren't cutting any slack. Uh-huh. Just cutting throats. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Jesus. But yes, they're definitely, definitely watch this film if you've not seen it. Right, because there will be spoilers. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we should start by saying that this is not Jordan Peele's first foray into directing. And I'm very, very glad that he didn't have the dreaded curse of the second film. Right. The situation that went on, because this movie's great. This movie is stunning. Like, from from a standpoint of directing, like, he wrote it too, and the writing's great, mm-hmm. but the direction is stunning in this film. Like, mm-hmm. visually, it is just awesome. Yeah, he designed this movie in such a way that, like, like the plot is... It has a really, it, the plot's really well done too. Well, the, the plot is so elastic. Right. Right. You, you have this, it's so open to interpretation mm-hmm. and there's a huge chunk of the film that does not concern itself with the plot at all. Right. Right. Where it's just like pure driving horror sequence. Mm-hmm. That's just like a hundred minutes long. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not complaining about that. No, no I'm just no, no, saying no, no, no. it's not, you know, there's not a ton of there's a ton of really great dialogue mm-hmm. in that in that sort of chunk of the film, but there's there's not a ton of like sort of um unpacking the plot. All of the plot happens sort of in chunks at the beginning and the end. Yes. Yeah. Uh mm-hmm. Oh, so the plot is good. 
but the plot is so elastic. <laughs> I'm sorry, what were you saying? Here we are. <laughs> <clears throat> but no, you're right. Like it's it's basically the the entire plot occurs in the first like half hour of the film and then the last 15 minutes. Right. The rest of it is absolutely just a a, a monster of, movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just a monster movie. Mm-hmm. Um but what really stuck with me after I saw this film for the first time was the imagery. Oh, definitely. Like it's a very visual film. Mhm. As silly as that sounds, of course, because film well, is a visual medium, but you know right. what I mean. Right. But, well, and it's funny because it's such a, in a in a way, for a horror film, it feels almost like, I don't know if this is necessarily the right term that I'm trying to say, but almost casual in a way mm. of like, not necessarily, the visuals are almost effortless. Right. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean that at all, of course, in a bad way. Right. But, and we can talk about this later, but even the violence is almost secondary. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, um, when the Tyler family is murdered, it happens so quickly. Mm-hmm. And for... Um, Josh and Kitty's murder, your point of view is from outside the house. Mm -hmm. You just see like some movement and then they fall to the floor. And then of course you see, you know, you see Kitty like crawling toward her husband, but the actual act of violence itself is almost off screen, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. Right. You, you even hardly see the twins getting killed. You see it, it's there, but it's... It just happens so fast. Right. Right, like the the violence almost isn't the point. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so yeah, but we will get to that. Uh, like we said, this film was written and directed by Jordan Peele. It stars Lupita Nyong'o, who is phenomenal. Masterclass. I mean, in every, <laughs> in every goddamn frame. Uh, Winston Duke, who is my favorite. Oh my god, so good. Elizabeth Moss, Tim Heidegger, Shahadi Wright Joseph, Evan Alex, and Callie and Noel Sheldon. Those eight people play 16 characters. Right. Because they all play not only themselves, but the doppelganger as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of acting, a film like this is a tremendous undertaking. Yeah, you literally, everyone has to play two different people. Well, and they're such, they're so different. Right. Um, like, I think that, I think the true test, this is what I always say about the television show Orphan Black, if you've ever seen Orphan Black. Um, it stars Tatiana Maslany and she plays a number of characters. Mm Mm-hmm. Who are genetically identical, right? But are very different people because they grew up in different regions and different countries even, right? Right. So, and you forget 
And I enjoyed that show quite a bit, but that show could have been ludicrous if you didn't have a good actor right. at the fore, mm-hmm. right? It could have just been dumb because that's, it's gimmicky, right? It is. It's gimmicky. Yeah. What makes it a good show is that Maslany is so good at playing all of these characters that you actually manage to forget that she's playing all of the characters. The only other person that I can think of that has done that in, and I say in recent memory, just simply because I watched it recently mm-hmm. is Meryl Streep and angels in America. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. and it's funny because if you look at the, the IMDb page of this, mm-hmm. um, like a lot of the times, like even for us, Mm-hmm. The actors, like the characters that they're listed as playing, they're showing as playing both. Right. Meryl Streep plays three people in that movie. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, series, miniseries, movie. Yeah. Play. All of the above. And um, Angels in America. And Angels in America. Mm-hmm. And you you know the characters that she's playing for the mo- She's playing completely different characters, right. mind you. So Meryl Streep plays... The initial character that she's listed as playing is Hannah Pitts, okay. which is Patrick Wilson's character, Joe Pitts, his mother. Okay. Right? right. Mm-hmm. She also, of course, plays the essentially ghost that is haunting um, Roy Cohen, who's mm-hmm. played by Al Pacino. Mm-hmm. Which, again, you know it's her, but she's playing a different character. Mm-hmm. The one thing that a lot of people don't realize is mm-hmm. that she also played the rabbi in the very beginning of the movie. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm going to shout out this fun fact to my partner, Nico, because he's the one that re- that told me about it. And I will say like, and I think it was probably because he mentioned it to me that I was like, oh yeah, that's Meryl Streep. But like, if I didn't know that at all, I would not have guessed it. Right. It's just like, it was like, it happened oh. happened so fast. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, that's Meryl Streep. So, to be on that level of, like, Meryl Streepdom. (laughs) Well, I mean, Nyong'o's on that level. Right. For sure. I mean, she is, she's among the finest actors of her generation. Absolutely. Um, And you do absolutely forget that Red and Adelaide are being played by the same person. Yes. You forget it. Mm -hmm. They are two different people. So, yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't a sophomore slump here. Mm-mm. Right, because this is a quality piece of filmmaking, mm-hmm. and also because uh, they made it for twenty million and it grossed two hundred fifty-five million dollars. So it has the, if I'm not mistaken, it was the second highest opening weekend of a horror movie. Oh, really? I want to say What's opening that? weekend specifically. Right. Yeah. Right. Not the highest grossing, right? But just the anticipation of the yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. Well, it's one of those movies that had great trailers. It really like did. sometimes a movie just has great trailers, and you mm-hmm. just want to see that movie. They gave away nothing in those trailers. Yeah. Well, the trailers they made it seem like a completely different movie, mm-hmm. and and I think that in a way was it was. A detriment to the film only because 
a lot of people didn't end up liking it because they thought it was going to be something different. Mm. However, like because it it, didn't meet their expectations. Right. Right. But I'm like, that's fine. But also like watch the movie for what it is and not what you expected it to be. Right. Like that's also, that's like the double edged sword of a trailer. Mm -hmm. Really? Well, I mean, and it's, it's sort of interesting that in this film that is so invested in the idea of duality and in things not being what they seem. Right. That the marketing made it seem like a different movie. I don't know right. if they did that on purpose. I wouldn't be surprised if he did that on purpose. Because that's I the kind mean, of thing he would do. But. Uh, I'm sure he did it on purpose. Mm-hmm. We're going to wade into us. <laughs> but first, it is Shark Tale Hour. It's getting closer. It's getting closer. <laughs> Tonight's shock tale is called The White Rabbit. The White Rabbit consists of equal parts, white chocolate liqueur, Chambord or any raspberry flavored liqueur that you want, uh, and amaretto. Mm-hmm. So that could be a shot of each. It really depends on how big you want to make the drink, but it should be equal parts. Mm-hmm. And then you can take some chocolate syrup and sort of rim the glass with that and just allow it to kind of melt into the drink mm-hmm. along down the sides of the glass. It'd be super yummy. I love it. Love it. <laughs> la la love it. So we could spend three hours just unpacking every reference and Easter egg in this movie. Let's which do would it. be <laughs> <laughs> Which would be real fun for us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know how much fun it would be able to listen to. But uh, there are some, I think, that are like more relevant than others. And yes. some of them are just sort of like, oh, look. Like it's fun. Like, yay, it's fun. Mm-hmm. And then some of them are like, oh, this actually means something. Right. Um, So the f- the film begins with an actual part of history. With an actual part of history. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so the film begins with, although that advertisement apparently they did make for the movie. That makes sense. Yeah, they didn't. Mm-hmm. They didn't use an actual like advertisement from '86. Mm-hmm. So the film opens in 1986. Uh, we see an ad on the television for Hands Across America, mm-hmm. which was a sort of mass demonstration, um, a highly organized mass demonstration and fundraising campaign to end hunger. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, Hands Across America um, raised, I think, around like 35-ish million dollars. But the operational costs and marketing costs were such that only about $15 million ended up being donated to the cause. Yep. And their goal was 50. And their goal was 50. (laughs) So, like, it was in many ways an abysmal failure. Yes. (laughs) And there was a great quote in an article for Vox by Emily Vanderwerf. Um... Is there anything more American than thinking you've solved a problem by creating a gigantic spectacle that accomplishes less than you'd think? 
it is it is the most american thing it is more american than apple pie right um well it's funny like i mean if you look in like so obviously i was not alive during this event right i was an infant i believe yeah right um they had like bill cosby mm-hmm. oof. Mm. um lily tomlin and oprah winfrey right like some of the biggest stars at the time mm-hmm. were in these commercials for this this event. Oh yeah, it was a huge deal. Which means that they got a lot of money out of this, which is, I mean, hey, I get it. Like that's fine. Yeah. However, get paid. like y'all, I like the concept of like, hey, let's get all of these famous people to per, like make sure that all of these other people within the United States participate. It it didn't no. You did too much for too little. Right. Right. Big old fail, folks. So there are a couple of things that I want to point out mm-hmm. with that little opening uh, that little opening sequence, though. In addition to the ad for Hands Across America, mm-hmm. there are videotapes. Mm-hmm. Like, this opening image... Because it's not even really a scene. No, it's just a zoomed in, fo- like, it's just a, a still camera shot zooming into the TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but it tells you everything you need to know about this movie. Mm-hmm. Right? So you have the Hands Across America ad. You have then when the TV turns off, you see Adelaide reflected in it. Mm-hmm. Right? And then there are the videotapes mm-hmm. on the side. And the one that is most prominently depl- displayed is Chud. <laughs> and the fact that, like, he could have easily used Day of the Dead. Right. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. he could have used... <laughs> there are lots of movies about, like, with similar themes that he could have used. Mm-hmm. But he went with Chud. <laughs> and I love him for it. <laughs> Chud is about... Uh, homeless people who live in the sewer who get exposed to like this toxic waste from a failed government exper- experiment and turn into cannibals. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you see a link or relation at all to this film whatsoever. <laughs> I do. I don't know if you do, but I, I mean, do. it's right there. It's it's right there for you. Right. I mean, they don't eat them. Well, that we know of. Right. They, they don't show them eating them. No, it doesn't appear like they're eating them. But But they do eat raw rabbit. (laughs) Yes. Like, basically, like, killing the rabbit as they're eating it. Uh That's a very disturbing scene. Um, Perhaps more disturbing than when they're killing the actual people, which, like, what? Why? Um, Why is that so? Why why do we as humans, like, (laughs) care if a dog dies? But, like, there can be 80 people. Anyway, that's, that's... it's a question for another podcast. The um, only thing I do want to touch on that really quick, it's just, I think it's the innocence of the It animal. is the innocence. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's just the, like, beyond the... I don't want to say... Maybe not innocence, because we do have children who are harmed in this movie. However... We do. Uh... 
defenselessness, I think yes. is what it is. Yeah. Like, the rabbits are in cages. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think that normally I feel like we feel more for children getting injured than we do adults. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's part of the defense, like, they'd be able mm-hmm. to defend themselves. Right. However, like, the main kids are incredibly intelligent. And, I mean, they... Spoiler alert, they don't end up getting hurt. But no. um, the kids that do end up dying are like... The the little bit that we get to interact with these kids, they're kind of shitty. Right, they're spoiled. They're spoiled, entitled, mm-hmm. and, and, and I feel like specifically in this movie, in a way, white kids. Yeah. This, oh, yeah. This family is... A, is of the face of a stereotypical white family. Right. In America. For sure. We'll get to that. Mm -hmm. So it is Adelaide's birthday, which is a detail that no one ever mentions, but I think the fact that it is her birthday is actually really significant. Mm -hmm. Right? Because there is this Almost rebirth. Right? Isn't she like 10? I don't know if they ever mentioned Do they her ever age. say her actual age? Probably not. But I mean, she's out. around. <laughs> I mean, she's like, I would say, I would say 8 to 10. Yeah. Like, I think that that probably mm-hmm. is, is around right. Just from the way that she acts. Yeah. Right. Um, and they go to the Santa Cruz boardwalk. Mm-hmm. Fun fact. Little Easter egg. Yeah. I you want to say it or you want me to say it? <laughs> <laughs> Is it about the Lost Boy? Is it about the movie that's being filmed at the carousel? Yeah. That they don't actually mention the name of? Yes. But fun fact? Fun fact, it is The Lost Boys. Which was filmed at the Santa Cruz Boardwalk mm-hmm. in 1986. Yes. Well, and, and Jordan Peele actually loves Corey Feldman. <laughs> fun fact i mean because he he's like these uh, cory feldman is the epitome of cool in the 80s i mean true yeah he's not wrong mm-hmm. but he is also just he's also just such a true cinephile and he mm-hmm. loves horror movies yes right mm-hmm. like his part of the reason i think that this film is so good is because it was made by somebody who is a fan of horror movies. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, no, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of love put into this movie. Mm-hmm. 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 For a movie about a bunch of people that are killing their doppelgangers. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a bloody love. Mm -hmm. A lot of love and blood. (laughs) Uh, So we follow Adelaide to the Santa Cruz boardwalk. Mm -hmm. And she's there with her parents. We don't interact. We don't see her parents very much. No. Right? Um, It was pointed out in in one... Uh, analysis of this film that I read that 
the little the little vignette at the beginning where she's sitting alone watching the television mm-hmm. implies that she was a latchkey kid. Yeah. Right? Um, so the parents' marriage is clearly not a happy one. They're snipping at each other the entire time. Her father's getting drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And he's not really paying attention to her at all. He's not. And, and the mother is hesitant to leave her with him for even a minute. Mm-hmm. Like, she clearly does not trust this man at all. And, I mean, for and good reason. for good reason, because <laughs> Addie just immediately wanders off. Yep. I like kids wander off. Oh, yeah. Oh, I did. <laughs> I did all the time. Yep. I was like fucking Harry Houdini. I was just like, bye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> My mom had, this is the most, like, early 90s thing ever. My mom had one of those little, like, bracelet leash things. No, she did. She did. She did. Oh my god. She had so like, and it had it. I remember that the little strap that went around my wrist was a rainbow, mm-hmm. which you know, I clearly, mean... <laughs> clearly foreshadowing, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I cannot tell you what a dumb design that was. Like, I'm not. I'm not. You know, whatever. Like, kids wander off. Put like attach a string to the kid. That's fine. I don't mm-hmm. have a problem with that. But like this was such a dumb design because it was a piece of Velcro on my wrist. I was like, "Whoop, bye!" Like, <laughs> <laughs> like there was there was there was nothing difficult about getting this thing off of me, and so she just right. would like suddenly be there with like just a bracelet mm-hmm. and no child. <laughs> <laughs> my mom never did the did the whole harness bungee cord. yeah well i mean i think that now when you see them they're like attached to a backpack yes which is much more effective Mm -hmm. because the kid can't like just literally just take it off and walk away right (laughs) like very easily anyway neither here nor there Mm -hmm. so adelaide wanders off goes down to the beach Mm -hmm. um there's a storm rolling in because of course there is. <laughs> Why would there not be a storm rolling in? In Santa Cruz. Right. Jordan. <laughs> Have you ever been to California? But, um, and she goes into a fun house. Now, what's really fascinating, and I actually didn't notice it the first time that I watched this film. The funhouse changes from the 80s to now. It -hmm. is the exact same funhouse. But in the 80s, it was branded with the image of a Native American. Right. And then in the present day, that like piece of the of the sign has been repainted to be a wizard. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And that is just. A brilliant little detail, mm-hmm. right? Because one of the and there there is not one central theme or, or message to this film, and oh, anyone no, who all. tries to find one will drive themselves insane. Yep. But one of the major themes of this film is the idea of society, particularly society in the United States, just trying to kind of gloss over its past ills. Mm -hmm. right or even its current ills right and just say like 
oh, it's covered up. We can't see it. So everything is fine. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, when we are talking about things like, um, like native appropriation, Mm -hmm. where you have sports teams being renamed and, you know, signs that look like, like native Americans being covered up with something else. And yet native Americans are still themselves suffering and getting very little support it's like oh well it's fine now because we changed the name of the football team right no it's not right you're still not fixing the actual you're still not fixing the actual problem like yes you should change the name of the football team right absolutely but like and and the fact that that was a struggle enough is right speaking volumes right exactly (laughs) right like how many what i want to know is how many petitions there were in whatever like in you know 2002 when they went to repaint that funhouse, how many petitions they were from people telling them that they were ruining their childhood because they oh were repainting the funhouse. God. <laughs> I have a message for everyone in America that's listening to this right now. Get over it. <laughs> Stop it. Things change. <laughs> Things change. And it's good. It's yes. a good thing. Yeah. Change is good. Change is good. It moves us forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, brilliant little detail. Oh, Yes. Um, so she walks in to the fun house. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a, you know, house of mirrors, which is in itself a great horror movie trope, right? Oh, like, yeah. What is more creepy than a house of mirrors? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know where you're going. You don't know what's real and what's not. You mm-hmm. run into things. There's an owl. Um, <laughs> I fucking love that owl. <laughs> I love the owl. You know why I love the owl? Because I remember being in places like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you remember going to a carnival when you were a kid, like those traveling carnivals that like, I mean, still exist, obviously, but like, they're just not the same. Um, And most of the, most of the rides were probably like just one, one screw away from killing you. Right. Oh yeah. And you would go into... These fun houses or these horror houses, especially. And, like, they were so crappy. (laughs) Like, Like, it would literally be like, you know, oh, there's a vampire coming to get you. But it's just a light goes on to a dummy with, like, LED lights that were visible. Like, those rope lights that you could see running through his body. (laughs) That was my favorite. <laughs> when that happened, when you could s- literally see the inside of the prop. Right. <laughs> like, oh, this is this is bad. Right. So, so the owl, the owl really resonates with me because I remember right. the being in those places. Right, because that owl is. I mean, in the that specific moment, it's a it's a moment of like, whoa, oh, this is dumb looking. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's like, oh, this isn't really scary at all. Right. But to a nine-year-old alone in the dark, terrifying. Which, like, Traumatizing. I, I could not see myself as a nine-year-old just wandering into one of those. I could not. Oh, I 100%. Nope. I would have been in there. Nope. I would have walked, <laughs> I would have maybe walked up to the entrance and been like, nope, I'm nope, out, bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> as a sort of, like, addendum to our, our discussion about the uh, painting on the outside of the Native American... There's also a narrator speaking on the inside of this, like, of this, like, phony Native American 
creation myth. And that is Jordan Peele. Right. Speaking during that part. She begins to get creeped out because, of course, duh. She starts whistling. Mm-hmm. And she hears somebody answering her whistling. Mm-hmm. Which is absolutely 100% the last thing you want to hear in a hall of mirrors. Yeah, I'd be running. Because mirrors don't reflect sound. No, no. Like, that's not you, honey. There's somebody in there with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this first scene, all we see... Oh, and okay, so I I don't know if Peel did this on purpose, but the image of the girl turning around and looking at the back of her head mm-hmm. because her reflection did not turn around with her. Right. Um, there is a painting by Rene Magritte that is that exact thing. It's a really? man. It's a man looking in the mirror. At the back of his own head. And then you, as the viewer, your point of view is behind him. So you can see the back of his head and then the back of his head. And Magritte was a surrealist, right? Uh. Um, so I, I just wonder if... Because it's also a, that's also a pretty, you know, obvious device to reveal that there is a doppelganger and to just be like there is something deeply unsettling i was actually talking about this when we were watching the movie last night that like when in a horror movie of any kind they start fucking with the reflections that is one of the things that creeps me out the most i mean fair no i mean same yeah like i don't know i don't know why Maybe it's because it is you. Right. Right? And so, like, you have this this idea that you're in control of this. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but, so, she realizes when her reflection does not turn around with her that it is, in fact, not a reflection, mm-hmm. but another little girl. And then it cuts to the white rat. Mm-hmm. And you have this long pan out from the eye of this albino rabbit. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just a white rabbit. It's an albino. Like, that first one is an albino because it's got the pink eyes. Right. Right? Um, which, of course, is a genetic anomaly. Mm-hmm. Right? So, it's this slow pan out from the rabbit. And you realize that there are many rabbits in cages Mm -hmm. in what appears to be a classroom yes yeah there are old school desks down Mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. and you're just like i'm suddenly watching a very different film right what just happened like how did we get here (laughs) what is happening how did we get here (laughs) that's really that's the whole film how did we get here um And I think we can actually, like, begin to talk about right now the use of music. Oh, absolutely. In this film. Because the use of music in this film is masterful. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? Um, The composer, Michael Abels, wrote this little um, motif that is used as the opening music over the images of 
these rabbits. Mm -hmm. And we actually looked it up because we were like, well, what are they saying? And it turns out they're saying nothing. Right. Um, so it's this choir of children who are just sort of rhythmically chanting nonsense words. Um, I was immediately reminded of the theme song for Poltergeist, right? Um, which is another like 80s horror movie, which influenced right. this one for sure. Mm-hmm. The way that Michael Abels described it is that they wanted to create something that sounded like a march and sounded sinister, but also had this like uh, gloss of like innocence turned sinister. And that's why they used the children mm-hmm. and that they did not use real words because the idea was that there was this organized group of people with obvious with obvious ill intent, mm-hmm. given the mood of the music, but that you wouldn't be able to actually decipher their intent because you couldn't understand what they were saying. I mean, it's genius writing. Which is awesome. Genius composing. Um, so you see the rabbits. Mm-hmm. And I love the... The... What is it? The... Like, the percentage of white rabbits compared to brown rabbits? Oh, yeah. It was... It's gotta be. Yes. And then there were also spotted rabbits. Uh Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. I mean, I I bet if you counted those rabbits... Oh, yeah. You would find uh, very, like... that. I'm sure if you counted those rabbits, you would find that the proportions of the colors of the rabbits was significant. Yes. Absolutely. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I actually also, the first time I watched the film, didn't even notice that they weren't all white. Mm-hmm. And then you were like, oh, wait, look. Right? Like, because there is so much focus. Whenever whenever the camera is focused on any individual rabbit or any individual group of rabbits, mm-hmm. the rabbits in that grouping are white. Mm-hmm. Which is, again, is interesting. <laughs> like, the white ones are centered. Right. Literally. Yeah. Right. Um, And then it cuts again to the Wilson family. Right. And you're like, oh, wait, now I'm watching this movie again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and really quick, it's funny that you say that, like, you were, you didn't notice it. Because immediately when we were zooming out, like, as it was doing it slow pan out, I was Mm -hmm. like, where are brown rabbits? Why are they all white? Why they all got to be white? (laughs) (laughs) Like, you thought that consciously. Yes. And then you're like, oh, there are some. Yeah. I was like, oh, there's a brown rabbit. There's a brown rabbit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is getting into the weeds a little bit, but there's also, with the focus on the white rabbits, in addition to like, you know, in addition to the sort of subtext about race, mm-hmm. right? And and how whiteness is centered right. in our society. There's also, in my opinion, allusions to the Easter bunny. Okay, stay with me. So the Easter Bunny is usually depicted in like American Christian as white rabbit culture as a white rabbit, mm-hmm. right? The reason that rabbits are associated with Easter at all, right? Every Easter you have this joke, like, what the hell does do bunnies have to do with Jesus, right? right. Uh, so the association is actually about uh, 
Eostre, I think is how you say it, was a Germanic deity who was a uh, fertility goddess. She was like the goddess of spring, right? So like it's very much, you know, tied into the themes of renewal and rebirth again, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And... Her sort of animal symbol was often the rabbit. And here's why. Back in the day, which is hilarious because now they have the exact opposite connotation. But back in the day, rabbits were uh, a symbol for like chastity and purity. Because... What? Yep. Stay with me. Because people believed, because rabbits reproduce at such a rate, and because they're nocturnal, so you often don't see, like, rabbits just mating. Right. Like, you often don't see it. It was believed that rabbits did not reproduce sexually. That they just, like, multiplied, like, amoebas. Right? (laughs) Bloop. Every new rabbit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We got little bloop bunnies over here. See, you you spill water on them and they just bubble up off their backs yeah. like like mugwise. <laughs> um. Yeah, the the issue is that you fed them after midnight is right. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. So, but that that is the reason, and then that sort of you know when those Germanic traditions merged with Christianity, right? You have this association of the rabbit with Easter, mm-hmm. right? Because it is this like idea of renewal, rebirth. Red is casting herself as Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. In this scenario. Right. So I, I do think that the rabbits are tied to two things. First of all, we associate rabbits with this sort of, um, with this sort of like sinister scientific practice, Mm -hmm. right? Like a bunch of rabbits in cages. It's like, oh, they're doing some kind of like crazy shit to these rabbits. They're testing, right? The, the, you know, the elusive bay who are using science for, uh, evil essentially, Right. right? But I do think there's also a religious Mm tie-in. Like, there are some old Germanic, or there are, not Germanic, there are some old sort of, like, German-American tellings of the Easter story in which Jesus actually has a pet rabbit. Really? Yes. Interesting. So, and and they, I mean, they did that to sort of shoehorn the Easter bunny in there. Right. Right. Like, why do we have an Easter bunny? Oh, well, Jesus had a pet rabbit, of course. Right? But, (laughs) (laughs) explains everything. Um, there is this allusion to rebirth, right? Mm-hmm. In the tethered replacing those above. Right. And in that scenario of that deliverance, Red casts herself as Christ. So I, I do think that the rabbits are there to also um round out that sort of like religious angle Mm -hmm. in it a little bit. No, absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
So then right after the rabbits, we just get into the family. Adelaide is an adult. You're right. You have Adelaide as an adult, um, played by Lupita Nyong'o. You mm-hmm. have uh, her husband, Gabe, who is played by um, played by Winston Duke. And then uh, their children, Jason and... Zora. Zora. Mm-hmm. Played by Evan Alex and Shahadi Wright Joseph, respectively. Right. Have to wonder if Zora's named after Zora Neale Hurston. I mean... Right. Everything's intentional with this movie. Everything is intentional with this movie. <laughs> as it is with every movie, really, because... Because <laughs> it was made. Um, it was directed. Right. <laughs> it's like a constructed reality, so everything right. has to be intentional. No, um... I actually read another, a, a great quote by Jordan Peele, <laughs> which I love. I love him so much. It's such a funny... He said, everything in this movie was intentional. I can guarantee you that. Unless you didn't like it, then that was completely an accident. <laughs> it's just so funny. It's like, I'm sorry, Mr. Like, are you Groucho Marx now? Like, what, right. are, you, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, Jordan Peele. Genius. He's this great. man's a genius. He's great. Um, so they're going to their summer home mm-hmm. near Santa Cruz. Right. Right. Um, Addie's mother has passed away. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time that they are back at the summer home since she has passed. Mm-hmm. And you have a feeling that that is part of the reason that Addie is so nervous is because her mother offered a modicum of protection. Right. For reasons we will get into later. Uh-huh. But now they don't have that. Because grandma's gone. Right. Right. Um, you also get the impression by things in the house, by like things in the house that her parents divorced at some point mm-hmm. right like you have pictures of the three of them and then you have pictures of just Addie and her mother Gabe wants to go to the beach and and both the kids are relatively into it as well right well the boy the boy Zora's not really into it I mean the girl she's not into anything right. she's a teenager right like she's just she's into her phone Mm-hmm. perfectly normal teenager and that is actually one of the things that this little segment of the film does very well is it sets them up as a very normal family yeah like and but not just a very normal family but like they're very normal but they're also like they're not necessarily a dysfunctional family right yeah, they are. They are. They, they, while they have their quirks, they're in love with. They still love each other. Right. It is. It is a loving family. Mm-hmm. Like it is. It is. You know. I think. I think that the reason that, I think that the fact that they love each other so much, is a reason as to why that they survive. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right, because. It is, in fact, a reason that the doppelganger family does not. Right. Mm-hmm. Which they kind of directly say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Addie doesn't want to go to the beach. Mm-hmm. Because of this, you know, traumatic experience she has had as a child. Mm-hmm. 
Gabe convinces her. They go to the beach. When they're on their way to the beach, I Got Five On It comes on the radio. Mm-hmm. Which is another just brilliant use of music in this film. I mean, that's a great song. But... Again, I didn't think of this the first time I watched it. I feel like this is one of those movies, right? Where you're just like, oh, I didn't notice that. Oh, I didn't notice that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't think of this. So, Gabe starts singing along. The boy asks, what does I got five on it mean? His sister says, it's about drugs. The father immediately says, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. Don't do drugs. <laughs> it's a dope song. Which is hilarious. Oh, right. Dope. Um, don't do drugs. My question is this. Because that song is absolutely 100% about drugs. Mm-hmm. Is he lying? Is that just a bull fa- Is that just a bald-faced lie? Or does he not get it? Because if he doesn't get it, and he just thinks... Like, he just sort of is listening to this song in a sort of, like, detached manner and, like, feeling the beat Mm -hmm. and not understanding the deeper meaning, such as it is. Right. That actually plays into the film's themes. Right. Right. Of being, Mm -hmm. of he, as one above, being oblivious to what the world really is. Right. Either that or it's just one of the, like, you know, million casual lies that you tell a child. Right. <laughs> right. But it could be either or. It could be either or. It could be both. Mm-hmm. It's up to you. Mm-hmm. Choose your own adventure. <laughs> That's what this film That's what this film is. This film is a choose your own adventure book. <laughs> right. Uh, so they get to the beach and they meet up with their friends, Josh and Kitty. Mm-hmm. Which, like, the idea that in 2019 there's someone who calls herself Kitty. <laughs> And that's her actual name. (laughs) That's apparently her actual name is Kitty. Um, I mean, I guess because usually the usually usually a Kitty is actually a Catherine. Yeah, that's like back in the day. That was one of the nicknames for Catherine. Right. Mm. Don't call me Kitty. (laughs) He has an evil look on his face right now. Um. This is Friday Night Frights by Sean Reedy and Kitty Tool. Oh, God. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> yeah, no, I hate it. Right? I hate everything it's bad. about it. You just, you automatically, you're just yeah. like a different, a different yeah. kind of person. Uh, bad news bears. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've got twin girls. Mm-hmm. And this family is very much your stereotypical affluent white family. Yeah. Uh, through and through mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and unhappy unhappy like that's an unhappy marriage yeah they do not like each other and they're yeah. just drunk all the time yep they're forced mm-hmm. um and they're it was actually really well played because they are they are drunk in that sort of very casual functioning alcoholic way mm-hmm. like if you've ever known a functioning alcoholic like it is, it is like this very sort of like, oh, I'm just gonna joke about it. 
Right. Right. As I have my like eighth glass of wine or whatever it is. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, mommy needs her medicine. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Mommy's mm-hmm. mommy's little helper. Mm-hmm. That is very much what it is. And she starts talking about how, you know, having children ruined her dreams of being an actress. And Addie is just basically like, like, just, not into it. <laughs> she does not. She says she has a hard time just talking. Yeah. Which, again, feels like a very different line the second time you watch this movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and the twins are brats. Oh, absolutely. Right? They're mean. Yeah, they're picking on this. They're picking on the son. They're, they're picking on the boy. They're, you know. Oh, we should actually mention that on their way to the beach, they also see um, an ambulance taking a corpse away. Yes. And Addie immediately recognizes him because he has the... Was it Jeremiah eleven eleven? Jeremiah eleven eleven. So mm-hmm. he is. He was this. Um, I don't know drifter. I mean, I guess he's not really a drifter if he was there for thirty years. Right. But you know, he was the type of man who stands on a boardwalk with a sign that has a Bible verse yep. written on it, and he stands there every single day. And he stands there every day for thirty goddamn years. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so she recognizes him Mm -hmm. and the first thing she says to her children is don't look. Mm -hmm. So again, you have this like recurring, this recurring motif of like, if we can't see it, it's not happening. Uh Right. Which I get in that aspect is like she's trying to protect her kids, right? I mean, it's but a natural, it's, it's a natural reaction, right? But it's you're protecting your kids from the reality of the world, right? Exactly. Jason wanders off mm-hmm. by himself to go to the bathroom, and he sees a man standing in the sand with his arms outstretched on either side of him. Mm-hmm. There appears to be blood dripping from his fingers. And Jason can only see the back of him. Right. But the camera swings around to the front of him. And you realize that this is the man who is being taken away in the ambulance. Uh-huh. Or at least he's someone who looks a hell of a lot like him. Uh, Addie freaks out, of course, because her son going missing is hugely triggering. Right. right? Especially on the that beach, beach of the boardwalk. Right. <laughs> Where, like, she had this traumatic experience and... Right. Where on second watch, (laughs) you would know that if shit was coming to her, it would happen there. Right. Right. And and she would realize if shit was coming to him, that's where it would happen. Exactly. Yes. Like, Mm -hmm. right. Yes. If, If something bad was going to happen to her in the form of something bad being done to her children. Right. That's where it would happen. That is where it would happen. Yep. So they leave because Addie's freaking out. Mm-hmm. They go home. And Addie explains to Gabe for the first time 
this experience she has had as a child. Mm -hmm. To a degree. She leaves a key detail out. (laughs) It's fair. It's for the plot. (laughs) Although, one could argue that she was still explaining her experience. She did. Well, in rewatching it, she absolutely did. Yeah. Like, the, the... There was no disconnect. There wasn't. There was absolutely, like, she was at that place with her parents, and she mm-hmm. wandered off, and there was another girl. Like, she never... That she ended up... She ended up in a fun house, and there was another girl. Right. It was the exact same experience. Mm-hmm. It's just where she stops the story. Right. That's where... That's where it changes. That's where it changes. Um, and that she's always had this feeling that this girl was coming for her. And that there have been all of these strange sort of synchronicities mm-hmm. going on in their lives since they had gotten to the beach house. Right. And she feels like that means that the girl is getting closer. Mm-hmm. Her husband, of course thinks all of this is just like a manifestation of trauma. Right. Like he he does not he doesn't believe her. Mm-hmm. Like as much as he tries to do the whole like of course I believe you, honey. Right. Like that you would do if someone was saying these things to you. Mm-hmm. Of course he doesn't believe her. He tries. I mean, he he is there to support her. Yes. And that in that there is key. Mm-hmm. However, he is still not on board with the story because right. it does sound crazy. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it sounds it sounds like she was, you know, uh, it sounds like she was a, a lost, traumatized little girl, right? Who made up a monster, mm-hmm. right? It's not that unusual, right? Right, or had a nightmare, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. They're sort of arguing a little bit about this, about whether or not they should leave. Um, And then their son comes in and tells them, essentially, that it's too late. Right. Because they're already here. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Outside, they find four people just standing there. Mm Mm-hmm. It appears to be a family with a mom, a dad, and two kids. Right. A boy and a girl. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're standing under the the light so perfectly you can't tell. Right, what you they can't look see like. them. It's they're silhouetted, mm-hmm. right? Um, Gabe goes out and attempts to talk to them. Mm-hmm. They do not respond. Right, that creeps him out because that would be creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Addie immediately knows who they are. Right. Yeah, because she's like, I'm calling the police. Right, give me your phone, <laughs> like. Because at this point, she also doesn't realize the scale. Right. Like, she thought the girl was coming for her. Right. Not for them. Like, she she never... And maybe for her family. Right. But not for... Not on the scale to which it happened. Right. Like, she, she was not expecting that. She wasn't expecting a, a PVP situation. Right, exactly. <laughs> she wasn't expecting, like, an uprising. Right. Um, quite literally. Right. Rising right. up. So... This is where I love 
the character of Gabe Wilson. He is my favorite character in this movie. He's so great. He's so funny. And like all of his reactions ring so true to me. Do you know what I mean? Yes. No, he is such a real person. Yes. Like Mm -hmm. he doesn't, he's just, you can, you can relate to him in Mm -hmm. a way where like you can imagine yourself in a scenario that, a scenario that shatters your understanding of reality mm-hmm. and just how you would react to that. He's not a character. He's a person. Right. Yeah. yeah like I feel like if I were in such, such a, 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 a scenario that like completely, you know, shifted my entire paradigm for the world. Right. That I would react much like Gabe does. Yeah. And I, I think that's why I love him so much. And also he just has the best lines. Like he really does. So funny. Jordan Peele was like, hey, I'm going to rate this character. It's going to be me as a dad. Yep. And I'm going to give it to Winston Duke. Yep. Who is just this, like, <laughs> giant man. Yes. Like, that's the best part. It's like, he's so big. Like, he gets in the bed when he's, like, trying to, quote, unquote, seduce her. Right. Because he's, like, such a nerd. So he just, like, lays down and spreads his legs. Like, yep. that's that seduction. <laughs> Welcome to. <laughs> Male seduction. I wouldn't know. Um, <laughs> I would. Yeah. You want it? Here it is. <laughs> but he lays down, and that's like a queen size bed, and he just fills it. Yeah. Yes. Right. But he's so soft. Mm-hmm. Like that's. He is a human teddy bear. He is. He mm-hmm. is absolutely. And I feel like, I feel like Winston Duke brings that energy to a lot of his roles. Yeah. Oh, I agree with you on that. Like. Even in Black Panther, mm-hmm. in Buku, kind of, like, had that energy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why everyone loved him so much. Like, why he was such a, like, standout in that film. Right. In that film full of standouts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but our big old teddy bear tries to scare these people away. Mm-hmm. It does not work. Because he's just not that intimidating. And they break into the house. Mm-hmm. Notably... The woman breaks into the house because she finds the hide a key. Right. Because she knows where it is. Because she knows where it is. Mm-hmm. She knows exactly where it is. Yep. Almost as if it hasn't moved in 30 years. Right. So, uh, once they're all in the house, they realize that each member of the family is a doppelganger for each member of their family. Mm-hmm. But just off a little bit. Right. Like. Yeah, they just look a little different. Right. But they you just, know that they're them. Right. You can absolutely tell that they're supposed to be them, but mm-hmm. they're just not quite all there. Mm-hmm. Right. Darker. Right. Right. Like, um, more sinister and i think that's especially true with both the sun Mm -hmm. and i think that that's just in part with the mask Mm -hmm. and most notably red slash adelaide like right i mean and part of it's the voice and part of it's the fact that she's the only one that speaks she's the only one that speaks which really like he 
told you over and over and over again. Right. He told you over and over again. Mm-hmm. Why is she the only one that can talk? Right. She's the only one of any of them yep. that says one goddamn word. Mm-hmm. The rest have these, like, every single other tethered that we see, either in the flashback scenes when, like, there's a whole bunch of them, mm-hmm. or the ones that kill the Tylers, right? Like, their doppelgangers, mm-hmm. or the rest of the Wilsons. They all basically, like, bark, right? They have this very, like, animalistic, grunting, yeah. moaning, right? Or and, screaming. Or screaming. Mm-hmm. And she has trained them like animals. Mm-hmm. Like, she literally clicks. Like, she clicks her tongue and uses hand signals to direct them. Which is what you do with dogs. Right. Right? Like, that's how you train a dog. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, this one can per- can speak perfect English. Except that her voice is all fucked up. Right. Hmm. I wonder why that is. I wonder how that happened. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> so, Red at this point explains that every person in at least our country... Mm-hmm. has a doppelganger and that they live in a series of abandoned tunnels mm-hmm. underground and that it was a science experiment that sort of went wrong and it went wrong in a way where they just kind of left it abandoned and just left all of their all of the doppelgangers down into these in these tunnels to essentially fend for themselves. Right, probably assuming that the the first generation, like whenever, whenever these these doppelgangers were made, mm-hmm. if they were made, because here's the other thing: Red explains all this. She has no way of knowing. Right. She has no way of knowing. Mm-hmm. She's just like, given what she's observed. She is telling us what she believes happened. Right. We don't actually know where these people came from. Mm-hmm. Because she didn't come onto the scene until the 80s. Right. And there were already generations of them down there. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, I do love that little bit where she has just decided that she has it all figured out. Right. Um... And ha- and then started a cult. And isn't that what cult leaders do? Right. They decide that they have it all figured out. Mm-hmm. And then they get people to believe that they have all- it all figured out. Um, so they handcuffed at- they handcuff Addie to the coffee table. Mm-hmm. Because Red wants her to watch her family die. Right. And then the fun begins. Mm-hmm. And for the next... 85 minutes of the film. This is just a like nonstop pure horror comedy. Mm-hmm. Like it really is. Like you have the sort of goofball way that uh, Gabe dispenses of his doppelganger by like smacking his head into the. Like you have this whole sequence with them, right? With the right. boat. Um, the boat that Gabe was so excited about getting that, you know. 
first the doppelganger falls off and then Gabe falls off and then the boat comes back because it hangs to the left. So it's just going to go in circles. Right. right. And then like he climbs up on it and uh, the doppelganger's name is Abraham. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Which again, like the. Um, that's a biblical name and the oh. children's names are from mythology. Mm-hmm. So like there is there is that sort of like again those like religious religious um, yeah those names are well. are very purposeful mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. yeah like Pluto is the god of the underworld right right uh, Abraham is is the well like the the father of mankind right like the the father of the from which the you know twelve tribes of Israel came mm-hmm. right. Um, and all had, there is this sort of like coming back to reproduction because the, the story of Abraham without getting too far into it, the story of Abraham does involve like, um, where the first child was conceived essentially by like surrogate, right? Like, but like ancient surrogate where like he just like conceived the child with a woman who wasn't his wife because his wife was barren and then they raised the child as their own and then miraculously you know his wife uh sarah did conceive isaac right and they favored that boy over the other one right right and so that's why that was the one that he was going to kill and then god was like no you don't have to kill him it's fine kill that instead and it was a goat so there are these sort of like um recurring themes of reproduction mm-hmm. like with the sort of um inclusion of abraham with the rabbits so there are like these repeated references to like reproduction and parenthood and parentage mm-hmm. and i think the naming of abraham is part of that right but the way that after all of this sort of slapsticky fight that they have, the way that he finally dispatches him is uh, by smacking his head on the motor so that it starts and sucks him in. Right. Right. Like that is a <laughs> laugh out loud moment. Right. And just like, boom, and then he's gone. <laughs> um, so at that, you know, he manages to take the boat and they escape and they go across the bay to their friend, their t- to their friends, uh, the Tyler's place, mm-hmm. and they find them all dead. Right. Because, as we know, because we see it happen, the Tylers also have doppelgangers. Right. Who are dressed the same mm-hmm. as the doppelgangers that are uh, attacking the Wilsons. Right. They're so all in red suits. They're all in red suits. They all are wearing one glove, and they're all carrying a golden pair of scissors. Mm-hmm. Which is an interesting weapon to choose. Well, can I talk about the scissors really quick? Absolutely, we can talk about the scissors. Okay, cool. Because I really love the fact that they use scissors. I mm-hmm. I actually have a theory about the scissors, but you say yours first. Well, so I don't necessarily have a, uh, a thought process on the color of the scissors. Mm-hmm. Like, I appreciate the gold and I, 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 in a way, would assume that gold and, like, wealth can play into it into a degree but while i don't really have a uh thought process on the color of the scissors Mm -hmm. 
I do feel like in a way that that is a, I mean, it's a very specific color of shears, right? Like, right. There's not a, there's not a ton of gold scissors. I've not seen them. I mean, it, just talking about the sort of visuality of this film, Mm -hmm. like it does look great with the suits. Yes. And And I'm sure that was part of it. Absolutely. Like just the production design, costume design. Right. Mm -hmm. But the, the scissors to me are, are a very specific reference to duality. Okay. I like it. Mm -hmm. Like you, like scissors are two shears. Mm -hmm. There Mm -hmm. are two sides to that. Two blades. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. That is literally this entire movie is all about duality. Mm Mm-hmm. They could not have chosen a better weapon. They could have chosen a knife. They could have chosen a gun. They could have chosen anything else, but they chose scissors. Specifically something that is two. Yes. And the two, there are two, but they only work if they're used together. <sighs> yep. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree 100%. Mm-hmm. Hadn't thought of that. It's a great thought. Uh, scissors are also associated with the Greek fates. See, I don't know that. Why? Like, literally, like, not that I don't disagree. Not that I, I don't. Oh. <laughs> Jesus, age, words. You don't disagree. You just don't actually know what I'm talking about. Let me tell you. Tell me the things. So, uh, in Greek mythology, there are three fates. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about their names. It's not important. And also, I'm not sure I could pronounce them right now. But there is. Uh, and they're usually depicted as three old women. I was going to say, I'm like, I've seen, I've seen the Disney movie. I know. I know yes. Them. Yes. Mm-hmm. 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 So With the eye. Seen, yes. Mm-hmm. If you've seen Hercules and they, it's the three sisters and they all share the eye, mm-hmm. right? Even though they like really veered into the like Shakespearean, like weird sisters, right. like imagery with them. But so they have the, they have the thread of life. Right. Mm -hmm. And one of them would, I think one of them would spin the thread, like would spin the wool into the thread. And one of them would like weave the cloth of your life. And then one of them would cut it. Mm. And when she cut it, that was the moment that you died. Okay. So she was determining, right? So she was kind of like the, you know, the goddess of death even though they weren't really they were more like demi gods than gods but and her attribute is is a pair of scissors right so the idea that this was fated mm-hmm. that this was going to happen eventually that adelaide was not going to be able to escape this that they were going to come for her eventually because it was her fate and it was her destiny to be tethered mm-hmm. to this underworld. Right? I think that plays into the scissors as well. Well, and I mean, especially considering that there is a lot of religious tie in. Mm-hmm. And Greco-Roman mythology. And mythology. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is very likely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we're both right. Yeah. Um, 
Um, well, and that's the thing about this movie is that there's not one specific There's not path. one answer. Yeah, no. you can take one part of this movie and say three different things about it, and you would be right. Yeah. You'd all be right. Mm-hmm. Like it is, it is one of the most like elastic, open to interpretation films I've 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 seen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, almost almost to the point of like Kubrick, right? Right. And Jordan Peele is a Kubrick fan, and there are direct references to The Shining sprinkled throughout this movie. Oh, yes. Um. But yeah, so yeah, this is just an interesting choice. And they're just mm-hmm. also, they're, they are also just cool. Right. Like those outfits are just cool. Yeah. Like they're memorable. Like it was a good choice to put them in these very sort of, um, to make them so striking. Right. Right. Um, because it, it's, it makes them memorable as the monsters. Mm-hmm. And their uniform. And their uniform because they're organized. Right. Because they're a cult. Exactly. Um, so, but the the Tyler's also having doppelgangers is your first real, like, confirmation. You had one clue because you saw the old man on the beach. Right. Mm-hmm. But that is your confirmation that, in fact, everybody has a doppelganger. Mm-hmm. Not just this family. Um, so... They show up there. They find the Tyler's dead. They find their doppelgangers there. So now they're in another fight. Right. So now mm-hmm. we're in the second half of this like solid 85 minutes of just, just being, you know, right. uh, just being a monster movie. Mm-hmm. Like a straight up like horror comedy, like Shaun of the Dead. Right. Right. <laughs> um, it is like because they are, they're, they're very, um, the tethered with the exception of course of Adelaide are, are pretty zombie like. Yeah. Right. Like they're, there's not really anything about them that makes them particularly deadly except for the fact that they are unexpected and in such a large number, mm-hmm. right? Um, they're often, especially when the flashbacks happen, like the way that the tethered father, like Addie's te- tethered father, mm-hmm. is walking is very reminiscent of like, the way that like a classic Romero zombie walks mm-hmm. um, and just they're like relentless and they're just relentlessness. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so especially when I, f- I feel it especially strongly when the one twin who they think is dead ends up not being dead. Right. Which like classic trope, first of all. But also, like, when she jumps on Adelaide and, like, starts trying to bite her and she's screaming, like, that's very, like, that's lifted straight out of, like, 28 days later. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So. She's there to kill and that is her. That's her purpose. Purpose. Yeah. That's all she's there to do. Mm -hmm. So another fight scene ensues. Again, great use of of music because when the Tylers get killed, Good Vibrations is playing. Right. (laughs) And when... They tell, um, they tell Ophelia, uh-huh. which again, great name, right? Uh, you know, Shakespearean, Shakespearean character who goes insane. Mm-hmm. And then like the idea that this company named their, like, it's supposed to be Alexa, right? Right. That name their, their Alexa clone mm-hmm. after Ophelia is amazing. Um, which isn't Ophelia, like, doesn't it translate to like help? 
or something like that. Oh, does it? I went straight to Shakespeare. I don't know what the actual word itself means. So tying back to the Greek. Mm-hmm. The name Ophelia is a girl's name of Greek origin, meaning help. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is a little fun tie-in. Very cool. So actually it would be an appropriate name. Uh-huh. For such a device. Right. Until uh, it doesn't help. <laughs> until it doesn't help. Until it, you know, throws itself in a river. Right. Um, yeah, see, my mind went immediately to Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, Ophelia in Hamlet. Right. Mm-hmm goes mad because she is because she goes mad largely because she's grieving her father but also because her her sense of reality has been shattered right right and then she ends up you know quote unquote falling in a river right there's been debate for six centuries now over whether or not she did that on purpose or whether she just sort of like was out of her mind and so actually did just fall into the river Mm -hmm. um but it's interesting. I didn't know that it meant help. Mm-hmm. I like it. <laughs> um, um, they kill them. So, okay. Uh, so when the doppelgangers kill mm-hmm. the Tylers, Good Vibrations is playing. Right. Right. And then... She asks it to call the police and it starts playing fuck the police. Right. <laughs> and so that's what's playing when the Wilsons show up. Right. And are, um, you know, fighting the doppelgangers, mm-hmm. which again, duality. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Shit. Fuck the police is an NWA song, right? Yes. Okay. So they're from California. Mm-hmm. And so are the Beach Boys. Right. Right. So it's it's this like you And can, so is NWA. That's what I'm saying. Right, right, right. Like NWA, oh, right. the the artists themselves right. are from California. Mm-hmm. And so are the Beach Boys. Right. Right. So you have this again, this duality of like what is your experience of of California? Mm-hmm. Is it like Paradise on the Beach? Or is it Compton? Right. Right. And police brutality. And police brutality and racism and poverty. Um, and just, it's just, and it's just hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like, like the moment is hilarious. Like when the, the voice recognition doesn't get right. what she's saying. Um, and then it's just hilarious that it's still playing when they're all fighting the, the tether. Um, because they literally show up moments after they died. Oh yeah. And then, and one mm-hmm. of them answers the door and she's right. like, Oh shit. This like, is not the, the one, is... this is not the man I know. <laughs> this is not the droids we're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> and there's more of them. Yep. Great. Um, so once they have killed all the doppelgangers, one of them, they killed twice. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess they, they've only killed her once at this point. Right. That was the that was the thing is that the daughter claimed that she cl- killed both of the twins. Yes, I love that. Like right. that is again one of those lovely little moments that are just genuinely laugh out loud funny mm-hmm. when they are arguing over who has killed mm-hmm. the most. And and I do kind of want to point out too because this is another little hint that the son realizes that something's not right with his mother. 
and it's how she's killing the daughter. Right. After. I mean, yeah, that's that's the first time that he sort of sees her. Mm-hmm. Because she's acting more like because he, he just walked through the house with his sister while she's killing both the other the twins. Mm-hmm. Well, and he killed Kitty. Right. And yes. And he killed Kitty. And her, her mother's reaction, his mother's reaction after she ends up killing, actually killing the other twin mm-hmm. is very different. Right. Yeah. And so very he, animalistic. Yeah. Like he, he sort of, he gets a little scared of mm-hmm. his mother at that point. And like his mother is a very good mom. So like he's never been scared of his mother. Right. Right. Like they have a very good relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do also end up watching the news and realizing that there are many more of them. Mm-hmm. And that they are wreaking havoc. Right. So they decide they're going to... I believe it's go along the coast to go to Mexico. Yeah, they're going to go to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Which, again, the fact that Addie wants to go to Mexico implies that she knows that this is a problem that's only going to affect the United States. Mm-hmm. And how would she know? Right. Right? Um, so, they argue a little bit. Gabe wants to stay put in the literal glass house. Right. Like, not a good place to hide. Nope. But again, like, that whole, like, you know, those in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Like, that whole saying, like, I think that the... Beyond the fact that it demonstrated just how wealthy the Tylers were, mm-hmm. and that their beach house was much fancier than the Wilson's beach house. Yep. Right? Which is something that, like, stuck in Gabe's craw. That, mm-hmm. like, he had a better car. He had a better boat. He had a better house. Right? There was this, like, competition that he had going with Joss Tyler. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just the, the sort of, like... Uh, that they cannot hide. Right. And the the tethered, their tethered do find them. Right. So they get in the car. The teenage girl's driving. They end up taking out her doppelganger with the car. And this is also an interesting moment. Mm-hmm. Because how they do that is she's on the hood of the car and she speeds up and then stops and she goes flying. Mm-hmm. Right into a tree and basically gets like impaled in this tree Mm -hmm. Addie gets out to go make sure that she's dead and she doesn't kill her nope now she's obviously dying and if not dying definitely trapped in that tree Mm -hmm. right yeah her feet are hanging behind her head right yeah her back's broken (laughs) yeah her yeah she's she's on her way out Mm mm-hmm Addie does not kill her when given the chance to, like, finish her off. And she's very upset when the boy dies as well. Yep. Now, one thought is that how could you possibly kill a child who is identical to yours. Right. Right? Like, how could you look into your child's face 
and then kill that person. Right. Right. Um, however, the other thing, because she doesn't have any problem taking out the adults, mm-hmm. especially Red, right? The other thing is that her experience of the underground was when she was a child. Mm-hmm. So she relates to these children in ways she does not relate to the adult tethered. Mm-hmm. Right? Because she knows what it's like to be a child there. Right. Right. And she knows what the mother has done to these children. Um, and knows fundamentally in a very real and personal way mm-hmm. that these circumstances in which a child grows up wholly shapes who they are mm-hmm. as a person once they reach adulthood. So I think it's, I think it's a little bit of both. Again, there's always, there's always two sides to it. Right. So like, I think it is that she's not hugely keen on killing kids. Like the, she did kill the other twin, but she was, right. that was, that, she know, had self-defense. Right. right. Um, she was trying to bite her throat out, but there is this like for both of them, like Addie says to Red, the first thing she actually says directly to her is just don't hurt my children. Mm -hmm. And Red actually like hesitates for just a second there. Like she, she sort of drops her scissors down and starts talking, right? And she's still going to kill her children. Right. But, like, it, it just gives her pause for just a second. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so, Umbre, the doppelganger for Zora, is dead. So they drive, mm-hmm. they sort of, at this point, it's almost dawn. Right. Right? Like, they've been they've been fighting all night at this point. Again, very, like, either, like, you know, your, your very classic horror movie trope of, like, just the one real bad night. Right. Think of any zombie movie, any slasher. They are almost always a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, two days at the most. But usually just one really shitty night. And then the dawn comes. And usually that's the end of the movie. Right. Right. So this is where he takes that classic sort of trope and he turns it on its head a little bit. Because when the dawn comes, it actually gets worse. <laughs> right. <laughs> at least, uh, at least for Adelaide. Right. So they're driving along. They're trying to drive out of town, and they find their own car burning in the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. Which, the image of a burning car blocking a road. You cannot help but think of riots. Oh, absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. So that imagery, again, you're talking about this duality and like these different realities that people face, mm-hmm. you know, living in this country, like depending on their, you know, socioeconomic status or their race or their gender or their, you know, any any kind of um, 
like where they stand within the sort of societal hierarchy, mm-hmm. right? Of putting that burning car, which is something you're used to seeing in sort of like, you know, images of, of protests or riots from the middle of a city. Right. On the Santa Cruz boardwalk, mm-hmm. which is this very like glossy place. Right. Right. Um, and Jason, the boy, who is really very bright, very smart kid, mm-hmm. recognizes immediately that if it's a car that's on fire, it must be the boy. Right. A, they know two of them are dead. Mm-hmm. Right. So they know that there are only two left. And B, because they know that the boy is a pyromaniac. And the reason that he wears the mask that he wears is actually because half of his face is burned. Mm-hmm. Um, which I kind of feel is also kind of a horror movie reference to like all the way back to because like the the mask that's hiding a disfigured face. I mean, goes all the way back. Oh, yeah. To, like, the Phantom of the Opera. Like, right. we're talking Lon Chaney, right? Like, um, but also uh, Freddy. One of the other videotapes that you see at the beginning is A Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, which, how could you not reference that? I mean, obviously. If you're talking about 80s horror movies, come on. Right. Um, and it's an obvious tie-in. And it's an obvious tie-in with, with the, the scars on the boy, mm-hmm. right? Even though Freddy doesn't wear a mask, but, right. but still. still. When, when he does lift the mask up, mm-hmm. like, the scars are very... The level of scarring mm-hmm. is similar to Freddy's, where it's just, like, it's just a solid scar. Right. <laughs> right. Um, they realize... Or the boy realizes that it's a trap mm-hmm. and that uh, the other boy, whose name is Pluto, mm-hmm. got it down the world, um, has cut their gas line right. and is going to set the car on fire. Mm-hmm. So they all get out of the car. And what Jason has noticed is that Pluto will mirror his movements more directly than a lot of the other tethered will will mirror the movements Mm -hmm. of of their doppelganger right maybe it's because he's he's just maybe it's because he he is particularly animal like Mm -hmm. right like well he's so young he hasn't really he's so young right Mm -hmm. like he's so young he's he's very like um he's very sort of like primal right? right like he 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 acts like an animal. Like mm-hmm. he, he crawls around on all fours most of the time. In fact, this is really the only scene where he stands upright. Yeah. Most of the time he's, he is crawling. Right. He's like crawling down on his hands and knees. Mm-hmm. He sort of like nuzzles at his mother's legs, like, like mm-hmm. a, like a cat or a dog would. Right. Um, and he mirrors Jason's movements. Right. Exactly. If he can see him. Mm-hmm. He mirrors him. So Jason begins to walk backward. Um, and as the other boy does as well, he eventually walks into the burning car right. and catches on fire. Now here again, we see Adelaide is not happy about this. Mm-hmm. She is screaming no and trying to get the boy not to walk into the fire. Right. Meanwhile... That whole scenario, that whole setup 
was a trap. Mm-hmm. Because Red was already positioned where she assumed Jason would end up. Mm-hmm. So she's already, she's like six chess moves ahead. Right. Right? Like, she is sacrificing her son in order to get Addie's son. Yep. Right? Um, and she picks him up and carries him away. Addie knows exactly where she's taking him. Mm-hmm. She knows exactly where she's taking him. Like, the first time I watched the movie, I actually was sort of kicking myself for not realizing at this point what the twist was. Right. <laughs> because, like, she just knows where to go. Right. She knows exactly where to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we only saw that interaction happen at the surface. Right. So, like, how would she know exactly where the other girl came from? Mm-hmm. If she was already in the fun house. Right. When she walked in there. But she goes down into these tunnels that look... uh, My friend and I went to LA, uh, like, really right before COVID, like, January of last year. Mm -hmm. And the, like, tunnel that you go through to get from, like, the um, gates to the luggage claim at LAX... Has very strong us vibes. Like we were like, oh no, because she like she really loves this movie too. So it was like we were like, oh god, this is bad. bad this bears. is something. This is bad vibes. <laughs> and I don't think this would have been bad vibes before I saw this movie. Right. But right down to like the fact that there was like this very like um, late seventies, early eighties like rainbow stripe painted down mm-hmm. the wall. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been to LA? Um, but yeah, so she follows her down into these tunnels, which are now empty, mm-hmm. right? Because all of the tethered have gone upstairs. Right. Um, and she finds Red. And she doesn't really want to kill her because she needs to know where her son is. Right. No, Absolutely. And she has a feeling that Red has not already killed her son. Mm-hmm. Because she kind of knows that if she's going to kill her son, she's going to do it in front of her. Mm-hmm. Right? So they have this whole conversation. Um, in which, again, Red explains exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. But there's no way that she could know for sure that that's exactly what happened. Right. She's like... They figured out how to clone the body but not the soul and they were using the tether to control the ones above. Mm-hmm. There's no way. Well, and, and here's the funny thing. Mm-hmm. And this is another like obvious like obviously this is this is the original Adelaide. Because mm-hmm. she knows about the hands across America. Right. I mean that's your biggest clue. Right. That's your biggest clue throughout the entire movie mm-hmm. is once they start forming once they start forming that line, mm-hmm. like, if you recognize it, I think you would figure out the twist. Right. Because how else would she know about that? Exactly. Because when Adelaide went into the fun house, she was already wearing the thriller shirt. Mm-hmm. So she wouldn't have seen her shirt. Right. Right. Um, yes. And, like, that, that imagery imprinted on the original Adelaide. Mm-hmm. Because it was one of the last things she saw um. from the world above. Um, she probably wasn't even around to see the real thing. She just saw the ads. 
Right. No, that was that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because um, it was the same day. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yes, that is absolutely your biggest clue. Mm-hmm. Is the hands across America imagery, because how else would she know that? Right. And there's also this, uh, the idea of the scissors is she's cutting the paper mm-hmm. with those scissors, right? Um, but here's what is interesting about the original Adelaide. I think that one of the most central themes of this movie is that both the tethered and the ones above are capable of both good and evil, mm-hmm. right? Like the tethered, once you realize what has happened to them, are not straightforward villains. No, right? they're right. Like they are sympathetic, mm-hmm. but also the original Adelaide, like you can kind of understand her wanting revenge against the Adelaide that took her place. Mm-hmm. You can understand that. There's a difference. There's a jump between her just going after her and staging a genocide. Right. Right? Like, and that jump is not fully explained by just her trauma. Mm-hmm. Right? So there was this, like, seed of darkness in her where, like, what the way that she chose to, like, handle this mm-hmm. was to start a cult and kill everyone in america like that's extreme Mm -hmm. um well in in a big part of that though is that she saw exactly how these people that the tethered were handled right yes like you can understand her motivations Mm -hmm. but the execution right is no pun no pun intended (laughs) um you know rather than just seeking to like expose Right. She's just like, well, we're, we're just going to kill, kill everybody. Uh-huh. And, you know, then stage this, this big thing. So, like, I... While the original Adelaide does end up being somewhat sympathetic, mm-hmm. there's still, like, this... This weird, like... Um, this weird moment of, like, that darkness is in you. Right. Right. Because your solution to this problem is that you're going to kill everyone, children included. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so yeah, that's as, and the other one, despite this one extremely evil act that she did as a child became a good person. Right. Right. So I, and that's what I meant when I was saying, that she related so much to the children, mm-hmm. right? Is because after that, with the exception of that, that like one extremely evil thing that she did, mm-hmm. after that, she never hurt anyone again until she had to. Right. Right. So you still, you don't really, even once the twist is revealed, you don't really lose all sympathy for that one either. Mm hmm. Right? So, they are both both. Right. Um, 
you know, and then of course, the one who managed to grow up privileged manages to win. Mm-hmm. Like it's not revealed that Red is actually Adelaide, like the real Adelaide, and then she triumphs. Right. Like, the one who, quote unquote, got out, Mm -hmm. but got out by stepping on someone else and pushing someone else down, Mm -hmm. still won in the end Mm -hmm. and manages to kill her and rescue the boy who now has realized fully exactly what his mother is. Right. And he's not quite sure what to do with that information. I wouldn't be either. That's this is still his mom. <laughs> right. Like. Um, right. She she was already up at, you know, she was already up on in the world at that point. I mean, she was, never mind. Right. Well, she had been a good mom. Right. Well, yes. She had been a good mom, but she was already like, I mean, the switch happened when she was 10. Right. Oh, yeah. She was like, so, she was fully integrated into like the above world. Right. By the time he was mm-hmm. even born. Right. By the time she even met her husband. Right. It wasn't like they had just swapped mm-hmm. or they had swapped when after he was born or anything like that. Like, she is his mother. Right. Exactly. Yes. It's, it's not like they switched places at that point. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, the one who had been stuck below with the tethered did, in fact, die. And the one who had escaped did, in fact, live. And the mm-hmm. one who had escaped was his mother. Right. So, like, yeah, it's, it's not like he walked out of that fun house with a physically different woman. Mm-hmm. But it was an entirely different woman to him. Yep. Right. Um, but, yeah. It is during... Red's explanation, which runs a little long, but <laughs> I mean, it is the way it's shot, though, is so great. Like that mm-hmm. extreme close up on Nyango's face with like Nyango standing in the background, right? But just like right. that, and she keeps looking directly at the camera, mm-hmm. and she's not talking to anyone who's in front of her. No, she's talking to her doppelganger behind her, right? But she's talking to us. Right. She's talking to the audience. Mm-hmm. And it's this great little moment of breaking the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's jarring, first of all. Like, it's jarring in any movie where some, when someone looks directly into camera. Mm-hmm. Because they don't, usually. Right? Um, but especially from that angle and from that extreme close-up. And just, like, the fact that you can't even see one of her eyes fully. And it's just mm-hmm. the one eye that just keeps darting and looking directly at you. It's creepy as fuck. Mm-hmm. Um... But this, I think, is where my association of her uh, with, like, a cult leader is the strongest, mm-hmm. right? And it's also, I feel like some Milton vibes here, right? So if you're talking about Paradise Lost, the way that Adam and Eve get themselves into trouble mm-hmm. is eating from the Tree of Knowledge, right? And it's called the Tree of Knowledge for a reason. 
they didn't do anything after they ate the apple that they hadn't done before they ate the apple. But after they ate the apple, they knew it was wrong. Right. It was the knowledge of the sin that made it a sin at its core, mm -hmm. right? And for Adelaide and Red, their meeting and the realization by Adelaide that this underworld existed, but also the realization by the tethered Adelaide that this other world existed, mm -hmm. set mankind on this course as surely as when Adam and Eve bit the apple. Right. Because it is the knowledge of the other world that leads the tethered to take action. They didn't know the above world existed mm -hmm. until there was Adelaide, right. who was so clearly different from them. And until she told them where she had come from and told them about what it was like up there mm -hmm. and how much better it was than their world and turned them into a cult and acted as this messianic figure, mm -hmm. right? So she sort of, she plays the part of like both the, both the like Lucifer offering the apple and the redeemer, mm -hmm. right? Um, but that was another thing that, and you know, obviously like the, the like very clear imagery of like, one goes up and one goes down. Right. <laughs> right? Like, she literally falls. <laughs> right. She literally falls into hell. It's okay. She literally falls into hell and then goes back up. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, that That mirrors Lucifer's fall and then his, um, you know, uprising against God. Mm -hmm. And she frames it as faith. Right? As her own faith. Mm -hmm. But faith is not something the tethered would have had before she showed up, mm -hmm. right? It's not a concept they would have understood. Right. It is perhaps still a concept that they don't understand. They only understand her. Mm -hmm. And they follow her blindly. And they follow her blindly. And one of the interesting things, like, I don't think that a sequel for this movie would work. Uh, no. But, like, it is interesting as just sort of like a, a thought experiment of, like, what the tethered will do now that right. she's dead mm -hmm. like what happens now because it's unreasonable believe it's unreasonable to believe that every single tethered managed to kill their doppelganger no absolutely especially once it hit the news right right like the reason they were able to kill that first wave of people so effectively is because they got the drop on them mm-hmm um, but there wasn't anything like they're not they're not super powered. Mm -hmm. They're just they're exactly like what right. whatever abilities, skills, muscle mass that you have, your doppelganger has the exact same. Mm -hmm. You are as equally matched as you can be, literally, right? Um, so you know you don't really well, and I mean somebody's still flying those helicopters, so not everyone is dead. Right. But like, what happens now? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that was the one thing that I, I thought of at the very end of the movie was like, 
what's, now what? what what happens mm-hmm. where do they go mm-hmm. do they go to the mexico i don't know but those doppelgangers sure got a line going they did they did theirs was probably much longer mm-hmm. than if there really was like 300 million of them theirs was probably much longer than mm-hmm. hands across america so right. that was what six and a half million people yeah just a few more that's a lot of suits that's a lot of suits she has a salad manufacturer. She bought a bulk. <laughs> From where? That is the one thing. And like, I I don't really I don't really try to think about it that hard because right. like, I don't see it as a plot hole because it's not supposed to be explained, right? Right. Like this is a work of magical realism. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not supposed to know how they made the doppelgangers. Right. You're not supposed to know how they got their clothes. Right. They're, you're not supposed to know how they got the scissors. Right? This movie is not a movie that is made in reality. Right. It's not supposed to be taken literally. No. It is, you know, allegory from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> top to bottom. Um, literally. <laughs> <laughs> Up and down the escalator. Why there's an escalator. Escalator to hell. Right. Um, but yeah, I did, have, I did have a couple of moments of like, man, it's a lot of suits. Like... 300 million people. That's a lot of fucking suits. Um, she had a really long time to work on those. She did. It took like 30 years. Right. In so. fairness. So. Join us next week for the orphanage. Yes. Very excited for that one. Beautiful film. Mm-hmm. Um, until then. Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Spotify. You can follow our Instagram at Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at FNFrightsPod. Uh, I failed in my mission to... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> ...do things with the Twitter this week. Maybe we'll... May, we'll see. Maybe next week. Uh, maybe right. next week I'll succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a website at uh, FNFrightsPodcast.com. You can find us on uh, Facebook if you just search Friday Night Frights. And you can contact us directly uh, via email if you scream at us. That's scream at fnfrightspodcast.com. And then there is Fright Club, mm-hmm. our Patreon. And Sean, what's the first rule of Fright Club? The first rule of Fright Club is just stay the hell out of the Hall of Mirrors. Just, you know, nothing good happens in there. Nothing good happens in there. You just have to see a lot of yourself. And do you really want to look at yourself that closely? No, not that many times. Not that's a lot of me. Over and over. (laughs) It's just a lot of me in a very short amount of time. Yeah. And like you're either gonna run into your evil doppelganger or you're gonna run into Pennywise. Or like nothing good ever happens in there. Mm -mm. Just stay out of the hollow mirrors. Yep. Are you just gonna run into the wall on accident and you're just gonna break your nose and I mean, I think that's probably the most likely scenario here, but, you know, it's still unpleasant. No, not. Zero out of ten. We'll not recommend recommend. it. (laughs) And so, gays and ghouls, join us next Friday night. You'll be in for a fright. And until then, sleep tight.